Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Good evening, Mari. Good evening, Lloyd. Yes, today we are far away. We are in Chicago in the beautiful, windy city, and luckily the weather is not too bad. And we're sitting here with two wonderful holistic lawyers who are collaborative lawyers, and we're at the International Alliance of Holistic Lawyering. So I'm going to have each of these people just start to introduce themselves, and and then we're going to ask them some questions about it. Hi, Mary. Thank you for inviting us. My name is Sandra Crawford. I'm an attorney here in Chicago. I've also got the privilege this year to be the um, president of the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois, which is a um, not-for-profit volunteer organization that promotes the collaborative practice model of dispute resolution. Um, And that's also part of the spectrum of um, holistic law. Hi, and I'm Scott Farrell. I'm from the firm, the Gitlin Law Firm out of Woodstock, Illinois. I'm also a collaboratively trained uh, lawyer, and welcome to Chicago. Well, thank you, Scott and Sandra. So first of all, why don't you tell me, Sandra, what is your mission with, with collaborative law? Our mission here in Illinois, and collaborative law is an international concept, but our mission specifically here in Illinois is to change how conflict is resolved in our community. Um, And our organization has been actively attempting to do that um, through the use of change of standards, change of practice models um, for lawyers, for financial people, for mental health, because collaborative practice is a multidisciplinary approach to problem solving um, for the families, for businesses in distress, for individuals in distress. So, Scott, if you could give us an, you know, an example of what happens in collaborative law. I know I, I've done things in collaborative law for, for many years, but I think most of my audience here doesn't have a clue about what that's all about. Could you just give an example and kind of tell what it is? Sure. In uh, two words, I explain uh, collaborative divorce as a civil divorce. It's a divorce where uh, parties get together with um, an understanding of trust between both parties. It's essential in the process that they are on the same page. They're willing to share information. Um, and come to a conclusion that's based on both of their interests instead of uh, court-forced decisions. Um, It's just a better divorce for both all the parties involved. So, Sandra, people are more aware, I think, these days of mediation, and I've been mediating for many years, and we mediate divorce and business and workplace disputes and many different types of things. Why don't you explain the difference between mediation and collaborative law? In addition to being a lawyer, I'm also mediation trained. But in mediation, um, the professional serves as a neutral. The professional brings the parties together and, and has the parties, they facilitate a conversation between the parties. So in a mediation process, the professional is a neutral. There can be more than one professional because there can be co-mediations. In collaborative, here in Illinois anyway, Almost all of our professionals who are members of the Collaborative Law Institute are mediation trained because that's 
skills training is extremely important, um, especially when we have professionals who come from diverse areas such as financial, mediation, mental health, um, lawyering. Um, so all of our professionals have, have that underlying skill. It's another skill ba in addition to your baseline skill, which either is a lawyer or a financial person or a mental health professional. And using the mediation skills, we meet in four-way meetings, the clients and the two professionals. If it's a four-way meeting of clients and attorneys, it's two clients, two attorneys, and the attorneys are using not only their lawyering skills, but their best mediation skills to help clients um, neutrally talk about things because if we can improve the quality of the conversation we hope we can improve the quality of the outcome of the result of this, the resolution. You know when I tell people that I'm a holistic lawyer they think it's an oxymoron and they laugh and one of the interesting things about holistic lawyering is you don't get into the battle right and so why don't you explain how you actually keep people from getting into the battle. Scott? We explained that it's a civil process, and the reality is there are going to be hard questions asked between the parties. That's how you get to the best solution. But we're all there on the same page looking for the same uh, outcome of this meeting of the four people through the divorce process. I think that's the major uh, issue is that there are hard questions, but fighting about it and going through the process such as an adversarial process is not um, a key to getting a successful resolution in the, in the, in the matter. Scott, do you have agreements that specifically state that if the collaboration were not to be successful, that you would avoid going to trial, or at least that the attorney would remove himself? Tell, tell us about that, because that's a little bit more unique. Definitely is unique. All, all attorneys involved in this process and the parties all agree. Uh, we signed an engagement agreement, a collaborative engagement agreement at the beginning that there is this process does not involve the courts. That means before, during, and after. Um, if, even if the representation fails and there is not a collaborative uh, agreement reached, both attorneys agree they, they will not represent them in the future. This helps, obviously, your uh, audience is concerned about privacy. Things that are discussed in the collaborative process will not go forward and not be used against them as part of an adversarial process if it fails at that point. Um, uh, so that's that's mainly what happens with that. The agreement then cancels. If agreement can be reached at that time, both attorneys agree to withdraw and they will not have any future representation. Did you want to add anything to that? Yes, I, I'd like to add some, some clarification because I think we've just been, we've been talking about holistic, we've been talking about um, collaborative law in general, and then we've been talking about collaborative divorce. So if I may just kind of put those, line those up, and that's my probably linear mind as an attorney. Um, today we're here at the um, holistic conference. Um, I think holistic um, practice is about um, the practitioners, how we as attorneys, as, as professionals, how we practice. It's about um, a mindset change in the professionals. Um, collaborative practice is a model of dispute resolution, um, and collaborative divorce is just a, a, a subset of that model. Um, so for the for, for me, holistic practice is just about how I am as a practitioner, which can include mediation, can include collaboration, can include a wide range of other settlement um, options and procedures, such as um, restorative justice, um, preventative law. So holistic is kind of the big umbrella under which all of those models come. And I think that, that this conference is about exploring a lot more than just collaborative practice. Um, it's exploring lots of, of different ways of helping people resolve disputes. I wanted to follow up a little bit on what Scott said about uh, the collaborative process being that you, you don't battle in court, but if you have to enter a decree of divorce, you can do that in a settlement, correct? So it's, everybody knows that you still can get a legal divorce. You can still get a legal divorce, you still enter a judgment, but it's done collaboratively without the battle. Okay. And just, we're very thrilled that our, our fearless leader president just walked in from the International Alliance of Holistic Learning. I want you to please introduce yourself, and we're thrilled that you came in, and here we go. Carl. Thank you, Mari. Um, Carl Michael Rossi. I'm. Uh, currently honored to be the president of the International Alliance of Holistic Lawyers. Um, this, this here is the 17th annual conference. 
uh, of the IAHL. And um, we've had it once before here in Chicago in 2000. And, and that it was my pleasure then to be able to be of assistance to then president and founder of IAHL, Bill Van Zyverden. Um, so Bill started the IAHL about 17 years ago. And it's, it's all, he perceived a need in himself and saw other attorneys who, who had that same need to be more than just a source of answers for clients, more than just a fixer of circumstances. And he began to network with people. Um, and at one point, the IAHL had, had grown to over to sev over a thousand members. And uh, as a result of its success, some of the membership, the numbers of members ha has, has dwindled a little bit. It's, gro it's now grown, um, uh, beginning to grow again. When I say as a result of its success, um, several of the ideas that, um, that, that Sandra mentioned, collaborative law, therapeutic jurisprudence, restorative justice, were seeds that were sown and germinated within IAHL. Um, when I first came to collaborative, collaborative practice, I, I, um, I'm located here in Chicago also, and uh, I do, as a lawyer, I do only collaborative divorce cases. I first heard about that in 1999 when I met Stu Webb at the uh, IAHL conference, uh, which was in the Florida Keys. I wasn't there, going there to look for uh, Stu Webb, uh, but it seemed a good place to go in uh, in October, and uh, and hit a conference. And it was I, I met Stu Webb there and uh, uh, John McShane, who is who brought collaborative practice to uh, to Texas and got it all started down there. I also met Kim Wright, who's the uh, the creator of uh, Cutting Edge Law, which is an online mag magazine and resource that she has just launched. And uh, and I met Stephen Kiva. Um, while IAHL was forming, Stephen Kiva independently had written a book called Transforming Practices. And um, it gathered the stories of several attorneys who had moved through frustration into what else can I do as a lawyer? How else can I be in the world given the fact that I'm a practicing attorney? And their success stories really inspired a great number of people. A number of the people who came to IAHL came be, having read um, Steve Kiva's book. Steve will be here Saturday night. Uh, we will be honoring him uh, with a dinner um, and, and a program. Kim Wright has pulled together videos of dozens of people who uh, share their comments on the impact Steve has had. We also will be honored, uh, we'll, we'll have the pleasure of saying that uh, after our, that, that we've been in um, negotiations with the American Bar Association and McGraw-Hill, the former publishers of Stephen Kiva's book. It's been out of publication for several years now. Um, the rights were returned to Steve and the ABA has agreed to re, uh, republish the book and it will be available coming the fall, and we'll be making that official announcement Saturday night. You know, we read about many attorneys wanting to leave the profession and how stressful it is, and we're not just talking about collaborative law or mediation for divorce. People always seem to think that it's just that area of the law. And I know you mentioned others, and I know for me as a mediator, I, I mediate various aspects of the law. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Sandra, how collaborative law can help attorneys to incorporate that into other areas of the civil law? Here in Illinois, we, we are working actively working on that. We do basic training every year, and this 
um, coming fall, we will be giving a specific collaborative law training um, for civil attorneys. Um, prior to that, it's, the focus has been in family law. But the application is for any relationship where there's disharmony, a dispute, a conflict in any relationship where there needs to be, after the conflict is resolved, there needs to be an ongoing relationship. And I started out life 20 years ago as a mechanic lien foreclosure law attorney, and that deals with contractor rights, homeowner disputes, um, a lot of um, construction law. And I will you know, challenge everybody to say that that is not an emotional um, um, impact on a client um, when they've done good work. Um, I, I represent a lot of um, architects. Um, so. Those kind of, uh, of problems can be resolved using the model of collaborative law because what we're doing with collaborative law is just getting folks to the table before they go off and hire the big guns and spend a lot of um, money in litigation and time. And for years I used to, pr to, to, to preach to my um, contractor clients about you know preventative be preventative in your strategy. You're preventative in your medical strategy. You can have a legally preventative um, strategy also to help your business, and that's just sitting down. Well, the problem with, with just you know having clients sit down with two attorneys who are only practiced in the adversarial mode is the attorneys interject conflict. So the change needed to be in how the attorneys were trained and how the attorneys approached the conflict and what they, they saw as the client's bottom line. So this pre-litigation, I mean, this is all about before we go off to court, court's there, the buildings are there, the structures are there, can we find a way to sit down with agendas, with, with you know, the outcome-driven um, sometimes is a product of, of sitting down and saying, what does everybody want? Well, a homeowner wants a home built. A contractor wants his money for that home. Um, so in that area, I can see, you know, just from my own practice, um, having, if I had um, attorneys who were practice collaborative attorneys in the, the contract field or in the, the homeowner um, remodeling field, I could say, you know what, let's get together at a four-way. We can still go to court. We can still do the battle. We can still invest the dollars. But before we get there, can we just sit down and see, Can using all of our best skills, and remember I said, our, at least our um, collaborative attorneys are also mediation trained, so they have that um, training that helps them interject neutrality, helps them interject uh, problem solving, brainstorming around good solutions for everybody. Can we sit down and try that? Because if that fails, then you can go out and, you know, pardon the pun, um, hire Bob Barracuda to, to sue the pants off them Sam and Shark. get, yes, yeah, Sam Shark and, <laughs> and get, you know, get justice. Because at the end of the day, it is, it's not really the dollars sometimes that matters. It's the emotion behind the dollars. And that's true for contractor clients as well as for divorcing families. So for me, I see the application as just we're just in the very baby stage of how this model can be applied. Carl, so you've been do, you've been a holistic lawyer for 17 years, and I remember meeting Bill because he actually came out to one of our um, retreats at a yoga center <laughs> many many years ago when when I got into this holistic lawyering. So why don't you explain to our audience the difference between a holistic lawyer and the traditional litigator and that that they think of as Sam the shark uh, let's not forget Maureen the mercenary <laughs> <laughs> she's out there too <laughs> yeah <laughs> no no it's we are we are all used to Sam the shark and Bob true good point good point um, the starting point for me is um, that that I'll I'll use at this point is uh, uh, a quote from Mahatma Gandhi, who, who was an attorney, and um, he described the role of an attorney as uh, working to bring together parties who had been riven asunder. That was the goal of an attorney, is to bring together parties who had been torn apart. For me, the practice of holistic law is, is that when it's applied to two individuals in the in the divorce situation, in a uh, an employment dispute, in um, 
in uh, a criminal action in uh, in uh, restorative justice. I see it also as each individual party in conflict is riven asunder within him or herself. And part of what I can bring as a holistic lawyer is the opportunity to heal the individual, not in addition to the relationship be with another individual. In conflict, we are torn apart between our fearful, uh, anxious, a nervous, defensive, angry self and who we really fully are as a person, you know, our, our higher selves. Um, we become Jekyll Hydeish. And a, holi a traditional lawyer is the extension of our inner Jekyll. Um, and the holistic lawyer recognizes that uh, Jekyll doesn't live there alone and invites the, uh, the presence of Hyde and reminds the client that Hyde is really who you are and who you want to be and what Jekyll wants you to do has a good chance of not getting you what you need. And so in, in collaborative practice, in restorative justice, we talk a lot about what is it you actually need and how will what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're acting, will it get you closer to what you need or, what you, or will it not? In traditional practice, much more focused on only an end result. It's did I, did I get the divorce done? Did I get my client as much money as possible? Um, in in uh, uh, restorative justice, you know, basic criminal prosecution is: did I enact, did I exact a pound of fe flesh for the for the state, which is not inappropriate at all. I don't mean to suggest it isn't, but still, frequently the victim of the crime isn't isn't made whole, isn't healed, and simple restitution isn't. Financial restitution often isn't enough. It's, there's um, challenges with all of the various types of dispute resolution because on one hand, especially all of us here consider ourselves collaborative, holistic, and we want to heal the conflict. And, and that is a healthy thing to do. However, there's also a need for precedent. How do we reconcile the need for certain types of litigation? that go to the Supreme Court. How do we reconcile that with holistic law? Can you be a litigator and a fervent advocate and still be holistic? H how, do, how do you do that? Would anybody want to talk about that? Okay, well, we can all talk about it. My, yeah. My current practice does include, um, you know, I, I still litigate. Um, I, I mediate and I collaborate. It's, it's fitting the process to the problem and the people and the process and the problem are all part of the whole. You can't ignore any one of those parts. And there are just some cases that we don't have any precedent for. There, you know, the, the law is not going to go away because we have found a different way to, to help people in, dispute, in disputes. It's the application of the law. But understand when we started, collaborative practice is a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just the law. And most of the cases, there is maybe 10 to 15%, which is about the law, which is about new laws, which is about you know, new technology that we don't have law about. But the other part, you know, the, the other 90, 85 to 90% of the cases about emotional and financial issues, which the law is not going to be there to, to address those anyway, because the law is a, a common denominator. It's, it's there to apply to all of the people. And sometimes it doesn't fit the problem or the dispute that the family has. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're not saying anything new by saying the court system has failed families nationwide when we come to child custody disputes, when we come to parentage cases, because 
they are not about the law. They're about the emotional, the financial, the issues, the sustainability of relationships. So the law isn't going to go any away anytime soon, and we're all lawyers and we're all sworn to, to uphold the law. So the precedent will still be there, um, but I, I, in certain areas, the majority of the case is not about the, the red letter law or the, the legal precedent. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> You know, Chief Justice Berger was the one who said that lawyers should be healers of conflict. And Abraham Lincoln said, persuade people not to go to court, persuade them to do that. But there are times that we have to do that. Like you said, there's some new law that has to be made because even as mediators and collaborative lawyers, what do we look at? When, when there's a legal issue, we look at, well, this is what courts think is fair. This is what the cases say is fair. Now, if it doesn't fit your need, then that's all right. But if it does, it, you know, if we can work out something that fits your need better, that's great. But if we have to look, if we can't get agreement, we have to look at what is the precedent and let people know, well, you know, this is the precedent. This is probably what would happen if you went to court, if you choose to do that. Scott, did you want to add something about how, you know, can you be a holistic lawyer and a litigator? And is there congruity? Uh, incongruency with that? No, I'll agree with Sandra and what she said. Uh, important in Illinois is we still have to go before the judge for approve-up. So they could always find any agreement unconscionable and go back and turn that agreement back uh, for redrafting. So that's always an important consideration as we're going through with the collaborative process too as well, the precedents. Well, we are so thrilled. We just now have uh, Kim Wright just joined us and she's going to Tell, her, tell us about herself. We, we just talked about her just a few minutes ago, so you must have had uh, some extrasensory perception to come on in. But I know you're into cutting-edge law. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? So I'm Kim Wright, and uh, a lot of people know me as J. Kim Wright. Uh, so uh, uh, some people actually call me J. Kim. Uh, and uh, I am a lawyer. I have a website called CuttingEdgeLaw.com. And uh, for the last year, I've been traveling around the country interviewing lawyers who are on the cutting edge of uh, law, uh, including collaborative law, restorative justice. I've interviewed litigators who uh, have love as their guiding principle. I've interviewed judges who are problem-solving court judges and uh, about a dozen different approaches that are holistic approaches. And I have an, uh, I'm working on a book that the ABA offered, uh, or the ABA asked me to write on this whole movement. So now you're at the other end of the interview, aren't you? <laughs> so tell us, what, what have you learned? I mean, what are some of the major issues that you've learned about cutting-edge law? And how are we transforming the whole legal profession? When I started this, I had heard a lot of stories, and I was really inspired by a lot of people. But I had no idea how big it had gotten. It's like it's really pretty mainstream, these ideas. I mean, there are thousands of lawyers. Like, uh, I would go into a town thinking I'm going to interview just one person, and when I got there, that one person knew 20 others. And uh, pretty soon we were overwhelmed and starting to like draw little matri matrices of, well, we haven't had this perspective, or we haven't had a young lawyer, or we're, uh, we're sh running short on judges so that we had a way of organizing ourselves. Um, so, that, you know, it would be a sampler rather than uh, really just talking to everybody. So it became a documentary of what had happened and then some really exciting things that are being created. So, for example, in Minnesota, where collaborative law originated, they're now looking at how to use collaborative law in reconciliation work with people who are... Uh, are considering re reconciling their marriages. And so they're being trained in a lot of things that are uh, skills that are used in restorative justice around reconciliation and, uh, so you're, and using teams in that approach. And in Dallas, Texas, they've brought collaborative law into uh, dependency cases with children who've been taken away from their parents. And the way the uh, situation in Texas works is that very often um, kids would be removed from the parents and the uh, right to assign counsel doesn't come up for several months and so the kids have already been established in another home it makes it much harder to reconcile um, or reunite the family and so they've been bringing collaborative law in prior to that court appointed and, and again using a team approach uh, to work with families and um, 
I've been working with uh, problem-solving court judges, and I'm, um, I'm just blown away at the courage that it takes to go into that mainstream kind of approach, uh, you know, to, you know, be the judge, and then say, I don't, I don't want to do it this way anymore, and to completely reinvent the court. And um, one particular one in Montgomery, Alabama, Judge Tracy McCooey uh, does it on her off hours. She has a full docket, and then on Wednesdays at 5 o'clock and on Mondays at 5 o'clock, she holds drug court and mental health court. And, um, and she does, um, uh, she brings victims and offenders face-to-face -face in a restorative justice process um, where uh, she's done uh, almost two dozen murder cases and bringing the families face-to-face -face with uh, the person who killed their loved ones and really bringing a lot of healing. And uh, so there, there are 3,500 problem-solving courts, and I can't interview 3,500 judges, administrators, you know, and all of that, but I've really been inspired by the examples. Carl, do you have many judges that do belong to the International Association of Holistic Lawyers? Uh, we, ha we have in the past. We don't, um, I can't think of any currently. We will have one of the uh, local Chicago judges um, coming in and talking to our uh, attendees later today, um, Judge Sophia Hall, uh, who is very active in the local restor restorative justice movement particularly as it applies to, to uh, juvenile courts. Um, one of the things about crime, and, and this, this builds on Sandra's earlier point, that um, a, a, lot, a lot of legal conflict is between people who know each other. And uh, crime is far from the exception. It's almost, it's almost a rule that Crime happens most of the time, especially the serious crime, between people who, who know each other. And uh, so the application of the principles of, uh, of, of healing, of holistic practice, um, I, uh, techniques that are similar to those of um, collaborative practice are applied when a crime has been committed and involves, that involves a juvenile, um, allowing the perpetrator to see the impact of the offense, allowing um, apologies to happen, forgiveness to take place, and genuine uh, amends to be made as opposed to uh, best efforts at uh, re uh, restitution. So it, it, it becomes very personalized. One of the things that has, has resonated for me in, in terms of the whole movement, as, as Kim was mentioning, uh, it, it, it has exploded. People, clients want this approach to resolution much more than most lawyers think they do. And lawyers want to do their practice this way much more than they think clients want them to. So that, that is one of the things that I, I think Steve Kiva's book be, uh, started to change. The movement into the, the explosion of collaborative practice over the last few years has caused a lot of people to say, it's okay for me to think this way and to practice this way. It really is acceptable. One of the things we're really concerned about at IAHL is that it not be in the closet anymore to be a holistic lawyer. <laughs> and that it not be perceived as, that means I have to be broke. That's such a great segue into what I was going to ask you here. When, when this program is going to air, it's airing at the University of California in Irvine, which has a brand new law school. And you may have read about all the brouhaha with Professor Erwin Chemerinsky, who we have interviewed on our show, who, you know, was came from Duke. He was hired, then he was immediately fired, if you may, may have read about it, because they, he was considered too liberal for a conservative Orange County. Then he was hired back when everybody was up in arms. And so he is now our dean. And the he wants this to be the premier law school in the country. He's He only hired the best from the top schools. And so he can create whatever he wants to create. So what is happening in the law schools? 
Are, are we teaching holistic law? Now, I, I teach negotiation and mediation at UCI, and it's not quite in the law school yet because the law school hasn't jumped, uh, started until September. But we have a conflict resolution program there. What is happening? I mean, if we really want this to take off, we have to help the new lawyers to understand this. So what is happening? Anybody know what's happening in the law schools? Okay. I would say that across the board, there, there's no rule. But there are many law schools that are teaching these principles. Collaborative law is offered at several law schools. The uh, St. Mary's in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and Marquette in, uh, in uh, Wisconsin have restorative justice programs that are very strong and, and are uh, in alignment with their social justice system. Um, Berkeley teaches restorative justice because the students demanded it. And um, and so uh, and then therapeutic jurisprudence really is an academic pursuit, and that's taught in many places. There's a whole movement called humanizing legal education, and um, Larry Krieger, who um, has been involved in the IHL uh, in the past, actually uh, was one of the leaders at the 1999 conference that went on to really uh, change the whole face of the profession, um, as did about a dozen others at that conference. Uh, he has done a lot of research and um, has some booklets about uh, law, law students' well-being and looking at how are values stripped from law students when they, when they go in. And, and um, it's not usually talked about that uh, you don't, you know, that you check your values at the door, but the culture is you check your values at the door. And so uh, they're... There are 200 law schools represented on the list. There are 200 law schools in the American Association of Law Schools. So we would think that at least one, everyone has at least one lone wolf who's, saying, who's speaking this at the law school. And, um, and so um, and, there, and the conferences are, are huge now with the best practices in legal education all saying we need to really be focusing on the whole, whole law student. And um, I uh, was at Vanderbilt recently, and there was a law student who said that um, her, in her first semester, she did nothing but study. She neglected her body. She neglected her family. She did nothing but study, and she got to be average. Mm -hmm. And so the next semester, she said, I've got I've to recover myself. And so she focused on taking care of herself the whole semester and, um, you know, repairing those relationships and she got to be average <laughs> and and it was kind of like oh and so then she she started integrating that and she actually started an organization of law students and now is having a conference at Vanderbilt which is one of the top law schools in the country bringing in other law students uh, to learn what she's learned and bringing in speakers and looking at all of the issues that come up in law school. And so there's a movement afoot, and I wouldn't say that it's ubiquitous yet. Well, that's good to know because we have people who are listening that are students, and we have business people going by. What about, well, now I think about all the business people in, in Orange County driving by, and we're in an affluent area in Newport Beach, California, right right next to us, Irvine, California. A lot of the, uh, you know, it's kind of like a mini Silicon Valley right nearby as well. So as these people are listening and they're thinking about legal fees and how expensive legal fees are, um, what about the large law firms? Are they doing anything to integrate these kinds of practices? Anybody know about that? Here in Chicago, uh, that's, as Sandra knows, is uh, we have uh, two of the large um, domestic relations uh, law firms. Um, so their part, so a couple of their partners are actively involved in collaborative practice, and uh, one has a department focused solely on collaborative practice. Uh, the, uh, the the lead attorney in that uh, is uh, Jim Galvin, one of our, one of CLII's past presidents, uh, one of its. Uh, signatory founders as well. Um, so I, I know it, the big firms are taking notice as, uh, as the movement is growing, uh, and, and that only makes sense. They, they, are, they are running a business, and as I said before, the clients want this. And when uh, clients want to be treated as 
whole people with respect. Um, the attorneys, being good businessmen, will give that to them. There's another issue going on right now, and, and I don't know about out here, but I, I, th I think it's probably the same, and I read this in my daily journal, which is the legal newspaper for the state of California, how many lawyers have really been just losing their jobs, laid off big firms, small firms, people going into other businesses. People just can't make it anymore. So what about this kind of approach, the, not just the collaborative and the mediated, but what about this whole mindset changing? Um, do you think that the economy has anything to do with it? W what are your thoughts about that? I know in like the last two years, um, as far as, you know, divorcing families, people with real estate, I mean, people are watching the bottom line. And as a profession, we cannot ignore that. So one of the things we do by coming together at the Holistic Conference and coming together at the International Collaborative Conference that happens yearly here in, in, in the States, they have a European conference, is the attorneys are talking about ourselves as part of the conflict you know, um, um, spectrum. Where do we fit into this? And I, for one, and I, I know everybody here is tired of hearing kind of the lawyers make money, there's a problem. You know, the, the, the problem starts with the lawyers. Um, for, for me, I want to be part of the solution. And when I hear that conversation about it, you know, the, the, the system, you know, it's the lawyers who are driving the problem. It's they're so expensive. We can't afford good legal advice. I want to be on the cutting edge of saying that's not the group. That's not the people here. That's not the people I practice with um, because we really are conscious. We're business people, too. And we can't afford to, to lose business. Most of our collaborative practitioners in Illinois, the lawyers, are small or solo practitioners. So we have a bottom line. So if we're not responsive to our clients, we're going to lose business. And we're, we're here talking about how the economy has changed, how conflicts need to be resolved, which is more economic focused. CNN ran a, an article a few months ago about people's attitudes towards litigation. And uh, uh, alternative dispute resolution was way up and litigation was way down. And people were actually understanding that it didn't work. The world is way too small. And so in the interviews, they were looking at law firm, or they, they were looking actually at, um, at the companies and their relationships with their law firms. And they were cutting their budget for litigation by 20% uh, or more pretty much across the board. Uh, the companies were saying, we really need to focus on resolving problems and not get tied up in litigation. So I haven't seen that tied to the uh, so-called legal recession, but I think that the big law firms really ought to take a look at what people want, because the statistics do bear out that people want to resolve things, and they don't want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on, um, on, and hours and hours and hours of their time on litigation. I just wanted to add one, one, one thought to that. Uh, it has been my, my personal um, kind of uh, soapbox. My, my individual belief is that there is only one form of alternative dispute resolution, and that is litigation. Um, that is the, uh, litigation is the alternative to resolving disputes. It does not resolve disputes. It simply concludes them. And Maybe. May, maybe, and, that, that, and, and, and the maybe is because it doesn't resolve disputes. Mediation, collaborative practice, restorative justice, these, pro these programs look to support people to do what people have always historically needed to do when, when they are in conflict or dispute, and that's resolve it between themselves. And litigation is... Um, as, as was quoted, as someone said in the uh, collaborative practice training we had over the last two days, it's, it's better than a sword or a gun, but maybe not by much. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask about that because there's something that really bothers me, and I wonder if it bothers you. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I go through, you know, and I'm exhausted at night and we turn on the TV and I'm trying to find something to watch, uh, you know, and I'm sick of the news, hearing about killing and all the violence, then I was seeing it on TV. We have this dichotomy. Here we are trying to be holistic, trying to be healers, trying to resolve conflict without violence. And the only thing that our kids growing up are seeing 
is resolving through violence. And, and I wonder if it bothers anybody else as much as it bothers me. I mean, obviously, the First Amendment says people can do what, it, you know, if they can commercially do whatever they want to do. And if people are buying it, they can buy it. But it really rubs me the wrong way that we don't have anything out there, except maybe your documentary that's coming up, anything really out there modeling other forms of resolving disputes except for violence and guns. So anybody else have a terrible thought about I mean, it really bothers me. Anybody else? And the video games. Oh, my God. Okay. It's easier to be bad than it is to be good, and we have to work at being good. And having organizations like IAHL helps us as professionals be better people. And I think we once we, are, as professionals, are, are solid in that and, and can speak our our truth <laughs> to our clients and say, it's difficult to be good, but we're here to help you. I think you will see a sea change in in a lot of what's acceptable to people, you know, as far as accepting good or bad. Um, it's just easier to, to accept the bad and say, that's how things are. Um, it's hard to be good. <laughs> well, I'm worried about our, our children growing up. And children ha- are, you know, the strongest form of teaching is modeling. And if all they're seeing on television is the modeling that we're seeing of the violence and they're not learning skills, I mean, they spend a lot of time on their computers, on their video games, playing these, you know, kill, kill another person. How, how, how great can you kill them? You know, I mean, what, you know, what are we doing as holistic lawyers to even change that? Is there anything, you know, maybe I'm going far beyond this, but, you know, it's going to be hard to work with our clients when they don't have any skills in conflict resolution as they grow up, the younger ones. I actually uh, want to make it even worse for you, I think, because I've worked on several documentaries and a documentary series on restorative justice and some reality TV shows that were trying to show that other model, and they failed for lack of viewers. Yeah. So what, um, what we're really looking for is a shift in consciousness. Right. And, um, and so that's... I mean, at least we at least we know that's what we're looking for, and um, and and it, there's a lot of work to do in that. It's like um, you know, one of the ways we can do that is we can show people that they get the results they actually want by, to use Sandra's word, being good. Like that they can get better results from resolving things than they can from blowing the other side up. I, I agree, and I think one of the important parts of the collaborative, I, I can only speak from the collaborative divorce processes, there's people, they're getting divorced, there's a reason they can't communicate, they can't deal with each other, and what the process does is bring people to help them get through those issues, and that is being able to ask the hard question, be able to discuss issues that they couldn't talk about in the past, and a coach or a financial coach to help them with the money aspect of that is brought in to help them through the process. Um, it's a long process that could last while the kids go through college. So um, one of the money aspects where is it a more expensive process, but you're bringing this up front to get a better agreement between the people, and the two people coming to agreement is better than anything that a judge can do. Um, but again, the process teaches the people how to deal with conflict resolution, and you show about the example for the kids when they see the parents being able to co- cooperate and going through a lifetime, even after a divorce, of being able to solve issues it's very important in their lives, too, as well. I think that's a role model as the parents for their own children. You know, I know even in my own mediations, I end up being a teacher. You know, I teach mediation here on the campus, and I teach conflict resolution. And so when I'm with my clients in in a divorce, for example, I'm giving them tools that they never had. You know, and some of them say, gee, you know, if if I would have had these tools, maybe it would have been different. And, you know, over the years, over the 25 years, I've had about 20 couples get back together, which is kind of nice, but, you know, not all of them, but some. But um, it's where do we teach these tools? I mean, we need to be teaching these tools in kindergarten. We, you know, we need to be teaching these tools, uh, you know, in documentaries that are more exciting. Maybe the way we're teaching them isn't as exciting, or maybe it isn't enough of a game or something like that. I get calls all the time from, um, I just got a call just last week. Somebody wanted to do a reality show on um, on mediation, and and I thought, well, my people come to me to mediate because they want the privacy. If they wanted to to air all of this stuff, they would do it out. You know, so I said it's really tough. I said, how about if I take 
certain examples and we do some simulations and show and show how people get mad. No, we only want it real. You know, they don't want to do that. And I said, this is a private. What about the privacy of of dispute resolution? Anybody want to talk to that about collaboration, collaborative law? I sometimes say to my, my clients, I mean, you hear a lot about, I just want what's fair. And fairness is like love. You know it for yourself when you feel it, you perceive it, you know your own standard. That's a very, a very personal thing. And we've got to honor that. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, you talked about role modeling. It's about professionals being good role models, being sensitive to your counterpart counsel. You know, we don't, we try not to use that, you know, the, 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 um, war words, you know, the opposing counsel, the battle, the fight over the children. We try and use, um, you know, use words of peace, of healing. But if we can't do it professional to professional first, we're not going to be able to model it for, 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 for clients and we're not going to be able to set a good example. And here in Illinois, I mean, attorneys are 1% of the population of the state. I mean, we're a very small group of people trying to take on a very large task, but it has to start with us first. <laughs> you asked about uh, also about privacy in, uh, in dispute resolution, and it's, it, I think it's very important. Um, individual people in conflict are in fear they are afraid of what's of what's happened and um, and of what might happen again or or worse and those who have done wrong usually know they have done wrong whether it's a whether it's a criminal uh, a criminal circumstance or uh, a divorce circumstance so there are questions of guilt and shame and it is very difficult to, it can be very difficult for a person to take responsibility for actions, uh, to offer apologies, to extend forgiveness in a public forum. So privacy is part of the support system that allows them to be their better selves, knowing that nobody's looking over their shoulder judging them. You know, I... I wanted to, we don't have a lot of time left, but I did want you to kind of share with us some of the programs that are going on because people, you know, like I said, when I said I was leaving from California to go to, um, you know, holistic conference in Chicago, people kind of said, what? <laughs> you know, they laughed at me. What goes on there? So I thought since uh, even some of my fellow DJs wanted to know what, what is this all about? So why don't you tell them what some of the, what some of the programs are going on here? Uh, we, we've, we've had a lot of support from uh, very successful professionals who are willing to, um, to share what they've learned, what they've, what they've experienced. Um, uh, we have, of course, you're going to be joining us in a little while, Mari, and, and talking to us about uh, transforming conflict by shifting uh, mediative energy. Um, and we will also have Stu Webb here, the creator of uh, Collaborative Law. He will be talking to us about the holistic heart. As I said, he, he germinated his, his thoughts um, first in, in the IAHL. Um, we have, um, who I just, just had to leave, thankfully I, I, I have heard her before, but um, uh, Julie Murphy Casserly is the author of a book called The Emotion of Money. She's a regular contributor on CNBC and uh, has, has been featured on Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey's shows. Um, we will also ha hear Sunday from John McShane um, on becoming a lawyer healer. And uh, as I mentioned, John McShane is the individual who brought the collaborative practice movement into Texas and got it launched there. And we will he be hearing from uh, Liz Ferris, who is well known in the collaborative practice community, on marketing yourself as a holistic lawyer. Um, we want this to be, see be perceived and understood as we are serious lawyers dedicated to helping our clients um, meet their needs, whatever the circumstances, whether it's a divorce, a, uh, a, a, a an unfortunate criminal action, um, business. pardon, business, business 
and and we want our goal is to support the client in what their needs are and be able and willing to help them determine what their needs are. One of our presenters uh, talked about a coach approach to lawyering and he emphasized as lawyers we are not therapists but we can be coaches. We can be effective um, in helping in supporting the client in their exploration of what is it I really need here. Well, Lloyd says we only have two minutes here, so I'd like to go around and have everybody kind of just share with my audience. You know, you're speaking to people who may not know anything about this, and now hopefully they know more after they've been driving and listening to this or downloading it on their podcast. So if you could just share maybe just one bit of advice when people get into conflict, how they would... Um, what they should consider, real quick. Thank you, Mary. I would suggest that they go to www.collaborativepractice.com to find things, everything about collaborative practice. Also think about the future of your impact decisions for today, how they impact you in the future, and uh, just a plan for the future. I think the most important thing is what approach are you going to use to resolve your conflict? Find someone to share your fears with. And give your website. Uh, uh, IAHL.org. And thank you for listening to KUCI. This is 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every week. And please visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us about what you want to know about privacy in the information age. And thank you all. This is wonderful Chicago sun. And thank you for joining us. It's fun. Bye-bye. Thank you. Stay private. Good night. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we have an especially wonderful guest named Jay Wasserman, who is the captain of the Harbor Patrol Reserve Unit, which supports the Orange County Sheriff's Department's Marine Operations Bureau. And he has been with the department 20 years this month. Thank you, Jay, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Mari. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, Jay, tell us, what does your job entail for the Sheriff's Department? It's quite diverse. As a unit leader, I'm responsible for the operations of the Harbor Patrol Reserve Unit, which is a group of dedicated volunteer reserves like myself, about 30 professional services responders and sworn reserve deputies. And for all of us, you know, this has just been a great way for us to give back to our community. As a reserve also, we staff literally thousands of positions at various events throughout the year, most unknown by, uh, you know, the general uh, population out there. One of my standing assignments outside of the harbor is managing all the driver escorts during all of our countywide elections. And what that is, is we put reserve deputies in collection vehicles that go out to all the collection points, and that's where the moms and pops and whoever is running these precincts bring their ballots at the end of the day. It comes into our custody, and we maintain that secure custody all the way to the Registrar Voters Office, and from that point the uh, ballots get tallied and uh, the results made public. What a great thing that you do. Now tell us what else you do to support the Sheriff's Department. We do a lot of things. In the harbor, there's, there's just a multitude of things in patrol and special events and disasters. Out of our particular unit, just department-wide, we do a lot of things. Some of the most recent things that people would probably identify with would be during our fires. We had virtually every reserve out on the fire lines, clearing houses, making sure people's possessions were safe once they were uh, evacuated, 
and just helping out at the command post and doing you know anything and everything that we are asked to do. In addition, we, we provide routine crime scene security whenever there's an incident. We get involved with the Orange County Fair every year. It's staffed uh, predominantly by reserve. And the Make-A-Wish Foundation, you put uh, on twice a year exactly. an event. So that's great. Well, we're going to have you back next week to talk more about what you do. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Thank you. Jay.